Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, F. Mine. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Annie Fell, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Music. This week, we've got a roundtable of old friends who are also, as it happens, all New York City legends. Cynthia Slay and Pat Place of Bush Tetras with Sonic Youth's Thurston Moore and director Jim Jarmish. Cynthia and Pat started the groove-centric post-punk band Bush Tetras in 1979. With Laura Kennedy on bass, D-pop on drums, Cynthia as the vocalist, and Pat as the guitarist. Their original run ended just a few years later, but over the decades, they reunited periodically and are back in action now, though sadly, without Kennedy, who died in 2011, and Depop, who passed away last month after the recording of this conversation. But as Cynthia told the New York Times, Bush Tetris is a force that cannot be stopped. Their pioneering work lives on, archived in a new box set called Rhythm and Paranoia, The Best of Bush Tetras. The set, which came out on Wharfcat last week, includes three LPs and a booklet featuring essays by Moore, Jarmish, members of The Clash and Gang of Four, and many others. From the box set, here's a clip of their song, Punch Drum. So I wake up in the morning Well, I wanna keep on sleeping Sonic Youth. Now based in London, he performs and records solo. His latest album is last year's By the Fire. Jim Jarmish is the director of films like Stranger Than Paradise, Down by Law, Coffee and Cigarettes, and so many more. He's also a musician and currently performs with the avant-rock band Squirrel. Like Cynthia says at the beginning of their conversation, they have about 40 years of friendship between the four of them, but this is apparently the first time they've all gotten to talk together as a group. Their Decades in the Making conversation covers a lot, including Cynthia and Jim's Ohio origins, Pat's influence on Thurston as a guitarist, Jim and Thurston's star-studded days working at Todd's Copies in Soho, how Pat's job at Bleecker Street Cinema inspired the legendary Bush Tetra song Too Many Creeps, and much, much more. I feel like it's pretty lucky that we got these four together for a chat, and I think you'll all feel pretty lucky getting to listen to it. So, enjoy. You know what I think is amazing right now? I think this is the first time all four of us have been I've hung out. <laughs> yeah, Zoom. No, I, that we've all been talking at the same time together. I don't know if that's ever happened. But we all We're, have like forty some years between us. Like, no. Maybe we should other. start a band. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. So, when did you first see the Bush Tetras, Jim? Well, I probably their first, very first shows, you know, because Cynthia and I, we're like family. Cynthia, I consider my sister. And I met Cynthia before she even moved to New York from Ohio, um, because, you know, we're Ohioans. And uh, so I go, I always followed whatever she was doing, her all kinds of artistic endeavors. But the band was... A big revelation. So I probably saw your very first shows. And I first saw Pat play with the contortions at the show, an early, early, early contortion show at the Millennium. That was oh, yeah. really mind blowing. Oh it was That's... it was kind of scary and oh, amazing, and I didn't the, uh, know what to expect. It was scary. <laughs> was that the uh, X Magazine benefit? Oh at God, the... it could yeah. it could have been. Yeah, that's I think... what. Yeah, I saw it at that show. It was at the Millennium. It was called the X Magazine benefit with contortions. Yeah, and like erasers DNA, played maybe. DNA and theoretical girls yeah yeah oh no i totally remember that was it was super frightening that was the first contortions gig i saw too i think a fight broke out while we were playing i'm pretty sure not that that was unusual it did 
Yeah, that there, was the there's some guy sitting. I remember some guy sitting on the floor who, because everybody was sitting on the floor. It was kind of a yeah. local neighborhood thing. Yes. And everybody showed up yeah. at this gig, and all these bands were just completely insane. Except for the Erasers. They were like a rock band, but everybody oh, else yeah. was nuts. And I remember this guy getting off the floor and confronting James, because he was he kept jumping in the audience and just... You know, like a like a like a cockroach jumping on somebody. You know, yeah. And this guy was just not having it. He he got up crazy and really great. (laughs) That was a really important gig for a lot of people. I remember. Yeah, yeah, that seemed like it was. The the genius of James Chance was incredible too. You know, but I love the contortions. I just love that. So then I I'm a Pat fan. You know, Pat's one of my favorite all time guitarists. And now for all these years. Whenever I see Pat play, I start looking at how is she doing that? What is she doing? I've done this for years. And then after 10 seconds, I just forget about all that. And I'm just transported. I'm like, whoa, that is some funky ass slithery shit. I don't know. What is she doing? And I just love it. You know, and I like outside guitarists. You are one of my favorites ever. So as are you, Thurston. I totally agree with you. I don't know how she does it. I don't even try to look anymore and figure it out, but I used to for years. Like, what? I think all the guitar playing and all the guitar playing in our group was informed by Pat. For sure. Wow. Yeah. There was a few guitars. It was you and Glenn for sure. And also Connie from Mars. We were really into her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Connie yeah. Connie influenced me. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's funny, Jim. What I do is so simple. I always keep it like as simple as possible. Someday we'll get together and play guitar. It would be fun. Yeah, simple for you. <laughs> no, but well, well, my whole thing is like really... I make things up, which I'm sure you do too. You both do. I have no idea how to play real guitar. Let's put it that way. How to play what? Like real guitar. Like when oh, people, yeah. like yeah, when I people know. want to jam and like you know, let's do this or let's do this song. Like I, I have no, idea, I have no concept how to play like like real traditional guitar. I mean, I can play an E chord or I can maybe play Louie Louie to some yeah. degree. You know, yeah, but, but it, it stops there. I'm so, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm about so, the same place. I'm so glad to hear that because if say I were in a playing with other people and they said, here, can you play this guitar part? I'd say, can you give me a couple hours in another room? And maybe I, but I doubt it. Right. No. right. A couple of not, years. Not my thing. But <laughs> a couple of I years. Know, I yeah. know. It's even like, okay, we're going to play blues and see. I'm like, what? I mean, I sort of learned that over the years, like, you know, the blues progression, but over COVID, I thought not, maybe I'll learn how to really play guitar. And I started like, you know, looking at some of those leads and stuff. And I thought, no, I can't. I don't want to do that. What What if I did that? What would people think? <laughs> if I started but, going, also <laughs> now, but if you go on YouTube, there are hundreds of thousands of teenagers that can play all that shit so why would we ever have to you know or want to like yeah but the other key the other key shining line of course is cynthia the bush tetris because your vocals and fronting and style with with pat you guys you know the whole band it's a band and d's always been important and i always saw the early shows with laura for years but really you two guys are just remarkable like what comes from your collaborations are you know so important to us so thanks jim you know it's funny cynthia and i it's there's a certain chemistry and we've been doing it for so long it's just it's amazing i'll I'll sometimes just send her a riff and she'll say oh i have these lyrics and then it just gels it's um it's always sort of uh i love i love it that it works out that way I remember seeing you guys too. when you guys first started playing. I, I I remember seeing a few gigs, and then you you went on your first tour of the states, whatever that was, whatever what Bob Singerman sent you out, and then yes. you, and then I remember you came back, and there was a gig at um, Hurrah, and I remember going to see you guys because you were back in New York, and Bush Tetras were playing Hurrah, and you had you had advanced so much, like just from touring, like all of a sudden you guys were just so fluid. And it was amazing. And I always remember you did this, you were doing a cover of Cold Turkey. Yeah. Am I yeah. right about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I just remember watching you, Cynthia, you were just like draped over the microphone as if you were just, you know, you were just a world weary and you were just like 
like your arm was over the microphone. You just kept saying, no, no, no. <laughs> and I was just like, it was so beautiful. And I was just like, after all those kind of few years of like no wave or whatever, and it was just like, now it was like 1980, 81. And you were just sort of like chanting, no, 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 into this, like this cold winter night at, at Hurrah. It was like, it was for me, it was like, and I was alone, you know, by myself, because as I usually was. And, and, and it just like it hit me so hard. I really f- fell in love with you guys completely. And Pat had Pat was wearing these trousers where you had just the slightest rip in your crotch. <laughs> and That's the, the first time I've heard that. Oh man! And the, and the stage was like you know, stage at Hurrah was fairly high, and I was just thinking like, God, this is the coolest looking group in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Showing their underwear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you had you had some underwear on, but uh, you know, but it was it was cool. Few. It was few. Yeah. Oh, getting getting off. But it was room. super we cool. Were, we were skanky, and Cynthia was um, singing, "No, no, don't send us back to Atlanta again." Every time we went someplace on that tour, we had to pass through the Atlantic Atlanta airport because it was a cheap airfare that way. Eastern so we'd, go, we, we'd play like in San Francisco, we'd have to pl- fly to Atlanta to go play L.A. Oh, yeah. We were fried. I remember in a very early photograph of you guys, I was struck by the irony of Pat wearing a Van Halen T-shirt in like 1980 <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. And I thought, wait, that's ironic in, a, in an interesting way, you know. Cynthia had a Jaws T-shirt. Yes. Because we yeah, had that song too. Jaws. I was yeah. so, oh, right. uh, I was yeah. really imp- very impressed by that at the time. We <laughs> found those at a ninety-nine cent store in Chambers Street. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, oh. Jaws T-shirts. <laughs> but I, I, I've always been a, a secret, you know, like hard rock fan. So I probably sort of secretly liked Van Halen, but of course I was hoping it would be seen as ironic. Yes, good style. You guys still. Have good style. I love seeing you live. I like what's like. What are they wearing? You know, it's always kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I think like when we our first gig, I was like clo- doing the clothing design, Jim, as you know, and I I designed all these striped t shirts like for everybody. I thought oh. it was so cool because we grew up at the Motown thing. We thought, oh, let's like have a uniform. So I made these mm-hmm. like, striped shirts, and we were so young and like excited. We got these little uniforms on. Then we tried the bandanas, and that got out of control. Like, D wore, like, 20 bandanas, like, on his legs, oh, yeah. on his arms, <laughs> on his head. It was, like, enough with the bandanas. When you guys went to London and played, I guess when Ruth Polsky brought you guys over there and you did that yeah. thing, and, and that was kind of a big deal for any band to go over here, come over here and play. And I remember that being the word on the street, like, you guys and Polly Rock and the Bongos, whoever went over there, and... Did the Del Byzantines go as well? Were you part no, of that? Hope? We came, and actually Ruth Polsky was our manager for a yeah, while that's right. until yeah. her death. But we uh, we came over only to do promotion. We didn't actually play. When the Bush Tetris came back, I remember seeing D on the street, and he was totally decked out with, like, creepers, like London <laughs> creeper shoes. <laughs> And I yeah, just we kinda, did some I, shopping in Kings Road. I, I just crossed his path, like on, uh, and I didn't really know D to say anything, like, "Hey, man," but I knew he was D from the Bush Tetras, and we kind of crossed paths on Second Avenue, like as one would. And I was struck by, wow, he he came back from London with some really nice creepers. <laughs> because <laughs> nobody really wore those shoes in, in new york so much it was like yeah. you know you just wore torn apart sneakers or motorcycle boots or something yeah i i used to find shoes like used shoes that was my big thing i like i'd never do that now but for some reason i thought they had a little story in them and they'd help me on stage oh wow Red cowboy we, boots. I remember when we went to London and we were staying, three of us, me and Philippe and Phil Klein, in one really crummy hotel oh. room. And they, it was like Beggar's Banquet, or our label said, Oh, well, you guys can go in our record room and take some vinyl if you want. <laughs> and what we did, we had no money. So we each took like a massive amount of vinyl records and then headed to the nearest record store to cash them in so we could eat, you know? 
yeah, one of those kind of deals. But I'm sure you guys remember <laughs> all of that. Those oh, kind of shenanigans. God. Those hotels. I, those hotels were so crappy. And they're like yeah. the bugs, and like we Storm would be rooms. like all four in the same room with the beds lined up, and you had to climb over the beds to get. Yes, cuts. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> it was like Goldilocks, you know. There's a famous like rock and roll hotel here. It was called the Columbia or something like that. That's right. Oh yes, I think we stayed there. The Columbia. Yeah. I had a, another date. I stayed there at one point, another time. Yeah, I don't think they exist so much anymore. If they do, I don't. I don't know. London, like New York, has sort of changed. It's become oh, somewhat, yeah. somewhat moneyed for the most part. Mm-hmm. Somewhat, I would say, <laughs> very. Yeah, moneyed. but there's still pockets here that are very kind of um, old school and gritty and sort of street style, and you know. Yeah. But your neighborhood, Stoke, what is it, Stoke Newington? Yeah, that's changed a lot in like ten years. Yeah, yeah, totally. I used to come here in the eighties because we would stay. We would stay at Richard Boone's house here. Yeah, it was pretty. It was kind of like for me. It felt like at the end of the earth, and it was rather. It was kind of the streets were a little dangerous. But you know, coming from New York, you never really felt too much in danger because you know you dealt with being in the East Village and whatever. But we were used like to nobody. It. Like nobody has yeah. guns here. You know, this is like there's no gun culture here, so you never feel that threat. Oh right, yeah. even the police don't carry guns, right? Yeah, yeah, so you don't, that that anxiety doesn't really exist. But at first, I right. just felt it was just kind of alien, and that was sort of what kind of you just you didn't really know what to expect. Well, we're uh, all congrats. used to we're used to watching our backs, you know, from the early yes. days in, the, in New York. Yeah. What about when you guys worked at the Bleecker Street Cinema? Was that a scary? Was who was working there? I always that was always sort of like a bit of a legend. It, it was uh, me, uh, me and Laura. We we. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I always heard that that was the too many creeps legend was like when you guys worked there. Yeah, I I was the ticket taker and she was the manager. We had quite a little scheme going, but um, I'd sit back there (laughs) and I and that's I wrote the uh, first verse of too many creeps behind that desk because the people were bugging me. Yeah. Leave me alone. Don't ask me so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, that that was a great theater, great film, art film house. Yeah, I oh, got yeah, in there. Totally. I got in there free all the time, Pat. I I there. We saw all those great, so many great films. That was the cool part of it. So, how did you two connect? Well, Laura well, came a little bit before Cynthia came to New York City, and I met Laura through Adele Berté, who was I was in the contortions with. They were both from Cleveland, and so they knew each other. What you guys all went to the Art Institute, right? Yes, Cleveland yeah. Art Institute. So I met Laura. Laura and I ended up hooking up. And then, you know, lo and behold, here comes Cynthia and Barbara Clark from, you know, uh, Cleveland. Cool. And we, the four of us, hung out a lot. The four of you? Who was the well, fourth person? Well, Bar- Barb Clark was our, we, we were kind of a little, uh, we just hung out a lot because they all knew each other from Cleveland Art Institute. Cynthia, anything yeah. to add to that? Well, I, I remember walking on Second Avenue and I saw Laura and I had seen you play, Pat, because I stayed at, oh, Jim, what was that hotel? The Empire? What was it? The, one the Empire was Hotel. Yeah. So I, I was staying there and I walked down all the way downtown and went to see the show because I knew Adele Berté too. And I wanted to see the contortions and it was some like wi- another wild scene where he hit the sound man in the head with the microphone. And was, it was like some bloody scene as oh. we had to go to the hospital. Oh. And I thought, Oh, how great. And I saw Pat, but I, I, but I thought Pat was like a really hot, cute boy. I was really, I was convinced. <laughs> and then, and then I she is a really hot, cute boy. <laughs> <laughs> she is a force. So I was like, oh, when I saw her on the street with Laura, I was like, I was so I was kind of a little starstruck because I loved seeing that band. That was different than anything I'd seen in Cleveland too. The contortions was like a real spectacle. It was really great. So that's like when I saw you, Pat, on the street, I thought, oh, great. She knows Laura. So it was all this kind of serendipity. And then we were all living on 6th Street. We just hung out. So then when the contortions fell apart, yeah, I start. I was jamming with Dee and Laura and 
who could we get to sing? My best friend, Cynthia. And, yeah, uh, I, w- I, I wasn't so willing, though. I was really, I had a lot of trepidation. I had a little stage fright. So I, I had to be. I had to talk her into it. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, you you know, everybody thought I was so like aloof. I was just scared shitless. I I, I just closed my eyes and it, whenever I'm really nervous, I look very blasé for some reason. So. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. no. I was super curious who you were because having seen the contortions and all the other bands that they were associated with, like in the seventies. And then to see the Bush Tetras, and then you were like the singer. I was like, "Who? Like, who is that? Like, how did she get that job?" <laughs> I <was> just, <laughs> yeah, I was asking you know. myself the same question. <laughs> but you were great, and that band was so good. And I, I used to walk by your rehearsal space on yes. it was on like First Street, yeah, sixty eighties first, and it had that pull down metal gate, mm-hmm. and yeah, right, and, yeah. And I and I think I remember. I kind of seem to remember like rehearsing in there at some point um, early on with Sonic Youth in 81. But before then, somebody had painted on the front of that in really big letters, Bush Tetra's Loves Eight-Eyed Spy. <laughs> yeah. Like really big. It filled the entire front of like the pull-down gate. Like Bush Tetra's Love Eight-Eyed Spy. And Eight-Eyed Spy was just like, just kind of happening and just starting and that was yeah. also like, like you guys sort of seem to have started at the same time. And in a way, it was like these two super groups coming out of like what was happening with No Wave. Oh, from the No Wave. Yeah. No wave. Yeah. yeah. We, we actually, yeah, we did play with them quite a bit. And Bradley yeah. Fields was from Ohio, too. There was that Ohio connection, right. too, right? right. Weird, yeah. weird, right? It's just a weird. The thing I love, just to interject, about the Bush Tetris initially... You know, f- when I first heard the Bush Tetris, uh, obviously I love the contortion so much, and there's a connection between them for sure. But when you take James's referent, like James Brown referential, like saxophone and that kind of that part of the music away, and you get back to this guitar, drums, bass, vocal thing of the Tetris, it was. Related, but different, you know, and also there's a masculine thing about James that like testosterone poisoning thing where, you know, he's very aggressive and the Tetras are aggressive in a way musically, but there's also it's tempered by the fact that you guys are predominantly female, too, which I've always loved about the Bush Tetras. And again, you know, it doesn't. Well, what's the difference between male, female artists, whatever, whatever? But there's something that it infused the Bush Tetris with that was very particular, you know, and so strong, really strong. There was no band. There was no band that sounded like you guys. It was that's what really that's what really sort of grabbed me when I when I when I first heard you. It was really sultry. It was really slinky. Um, it, it just and it was very you know it was very groovy. Like you guys just super had a, like a like a tight groove. I you know there was this distinction between the Bush Tetras and like what came before with like the contortions in a way where it seemed like all of a sudden like like there was no it, it you got it wasn't like you were scared of being possibly more musical or something like the musicality mm-hmm. being more yeah. maybe or not musical like because it's that's doesn't make sense it maybe sort of not scared of actually employing more traditional motifs into the, into the music. Whereas I think in a lot of the bands beforehand, especially around no wave was just like, it was this real sort of radical take of just like not dealing with any traditional motifs at all, whatever, just except for, I mean, James's like funk fetishism, even that was just, it was, it was just kind of, it was just kind of crazed. Whereas I think in, in a way that Bush Tetris kind of, it was kind of this, this growth in a way where you kind of were able to sort of temper that kind of attitude. And it was really, it brought the audience with you. It's like, I felt like I was kind of it bringing me to a place where I was kind of growing, just listening to you guys. And I always found it like, this is this, I mean, this as a compliment. It was sort of like a, 
a damaged version of funk and reggae mixed in there, you know, uh, or damaged, I mean, in a positive way, sort of uh, fractured somehow, but it was in there, you know, and that's very different, Thurston, than like, say, Ardo's guitar playing, which Mm -hmm. was devoid of of references, really, except maybe Brazilian percussion instruments or whatever, you know, but yeah, that's so striking, the Bush Tetris, and dance music too you know yeah i People think we really thought we moved. were a dance band yeah we we thought we were a dance band somehow well, well you, yeah, you are what, what, ha- what happened Thanks, was Jim. uh you know no wave was <laughs> <laughs> no wave was really about deconstructing you you know any any sort of rock I me mean, like it can't sound like anything that ever has ever been done before so yeah. you know they were really going out there and I think that that was, you know, it was it lasted a very short time. I mean, I think there are still people kind of doing versions of that. But as a movement, how much of that can you really take? I right. couldn't take it anymore. So, you know, when Dee started playing these like kind of danceable drum beats, we were like, yeah, well, this is groovy. Also, there were a lot of bands coming over from England that were more danceable. And it was just that moment, like no wave was over. We're going into this other era. And, you know, the fractured reggae and funk was just us doing our best to try to copy what we were hoping we could sound like, you know, and it Mm -hmm. it came out sideways. But somehow it somehow worked in its own little way. There's a quote of John Lennon's. I don't know exactly what it is, but he said something about originality comes from not quite being able to imitate, you know, your influences. Yeah, that I was, exactly. I love, it's very valuable saying that. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, that's a. I haven't heard that quote by him, but that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And you know, he didn't read music either. They, I think, a lot of you know musicians they play intuitively. And you know, at the and, time, it's. I mean, it seemed like the bands from London. There was a certain imperious quality to them. So when you had a band like Public Image coming to town or whatever, it's like, it seemed like they really just sort of had such a huge sound of dealing with like rhythm music and that was also very experimental. And Mm -hmm. in a way, I felt like what was happening in New York, it was more interesting to me because it it, it kind of was more fractured and it maybe less cosmetic or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the No Wave bands seemed like it was like that the music was like fully formed just that, you know, as, as soon as it started, because it couldn't really go anywhere else. It was like this concept (laughs) of just like, you know, this is what it is. And it's something that could never, ever be sold to the mainstream. So why even like think about that? Because if that's not, that's just not going to exist. And so in a way it's like, well, where do you go from there? It's like, do you just sort of, do do you just sort of stay in this kind of, finished thing or do you move forward with something else and that's what i saw happening to most people i think involved with the music i mean you guys and ardo and and james even and you know and certainly lydia kind of went her ways different ways and you know so it it was really curious to sort of see the different developments that different people were doing the bush tetras were i mean i just thought you guys like got better and better i remember seeing a show at the bottom line that you played, which was kind of like a big showcase for any it band. It was, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was a remember, weird place to play. God, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Well, for us, it was weird because there's people sitting at tables, so that was eating. Yeah, yeah. Odd. yeah. It was you guys in the Ray Beats, and it was a bit of a coming out gig in a way. You know, we met like Thurston too, like when he he was outside the riot gates. Yeah, and, we were like, and it was like, oh, who's, we, who's this cute kid hanging out here? Yeah, we, I thought he was like ten or something. Outside you know, of the what? You, outside you, of the what gates? The riot gates, you know. I lived. I lived on studio. Oh, our studio on First Street. You, yeah, yeah. You, were, you were out. You were hanging out there once. We came out, and you were there. Yeah, and you and you did look really way younger than well to us than we were, but apparently you weren't. But go ahead, Cynthia. Well, I would just, I live there. So I kind of remember seeing you more right outside those Mm. gates. I was kind of a a bit of a loner. You know, it's funny. I was playing with this band in the 70s that were all RISD students. And they they were kind of the class after like David Byrne and everybody. And so they came to New York and and I got involved with them. It's a long story, so I won't go into it. But those are the people I was playing with. But we were never really accepted in any 
any faction whatsoever downtown. <laughs> they were kind of like part of this whole Jenny Holzer kind of scene. And we would always play like in her loft space. And then we would play at Arlene Schloss's place, A's, quite a bit. And that was kind so of our more scene. connected to the art world in a way. But yeah, no, no clubs would book well, us whatsoever. Misty, you know? yeah. So I was really sort of envious of Ben's that you guys had where you're always playing at these clubs. And I was like, why can we don't get to play these places? And so that was <laughs> kind of, that was kind of my, that was kind of my ambition in a way. It was like, just maybe stop playing the, the art lofts and, and play action at an actual club. And Hillary would never book us, but she, she did once, but nobody came. <laughs> what was that? What was that band called? Uh, we were called the what coachman. We never had a record out until like years after we broke up, and I and and I had somebody put it out with the tapes. But um, you know, yeah, yeah, say, oh, I think I don't remember you guys. But you know, I remember, I remember, I remember we were playing, we were playing with the Static, and Beth and Scott B were showing some films up at at oh, um boy. up at Jenny's, and I remember standing there, and somebody was asking somebody else, like, oh, who's playing tonight? And somebody said the coachman and he's like, Oh, I what is that? And then Adele was standing there and she looked at me and she knew I was in that band and she said something really nice. She said like, Oh, they're really good. You should check them out. And she looked at me and winked and I'll never forget that. I was like, I've always been like Adele's hugest fan after that. And I've, I've, I've told, I've, I told her this story. I just like, she's, she was in New York recently, right? Doing something. Well, she's uh, she wrote a book about Peter Lofner, uh, yeah. quite a good book. So she's yeah. been doing that. But I also, when you guys were talking about Adele and Barbara Clark too, I got we're still close with Barbara, who is uh, a very amazing um, jewelry designer, clear metals, just to mm -hmm. plug yeah. her. Yes. She's still we're still close with her. But Thurston, this is a little personal, but. When what year did you first come to New York? Late seventies. I well, I first started uh, late seventy six. Because like I remember our first, the first time I remember talking to you in the late seventies. This is a little personal. We were outside of um, Todd's <laughs> copy shop, waiting for these two girls that worked there that we thought were incredible because they wore like <laughs> mini kilts and the biker boots and stuff. And, and it, you know, and it was Kim and Sarah driver. And we were, this is true. Oh, so we oh, were like hilarious. hanging out waiting for these hot yeah, girls yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to be done working. I remember. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess that worked stuff. out. I started working there myself. That's the very first. Yeah. So that's how I remember meeting you uh, as well. And we would yes. just, we would, and we would just sort of, you and I would just sort of sit around while they kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, wait for them to get done working. Maybe they buy us a coffee later, you know. <laughs> Where was that? Uh, uh, um, on Mott Street. Mott, Mott Street, oh, just south okay. of Prince. Yeah. Oh, okay. And all yeah. these artists used to come in there, crazy people, you know, Robert Rauschenberg. Oh, yeah. Gotta make a copy of this. There's all these people, Robert oh, Frank yeah, totally. coming in. And, yeah, yeah Lawrence great. Wiener used to come in there. Mm -hmm. It was a total hangout. It was a, you know, Jean-Michel used to come in there all the time. Yeah, yeah Jean-Michel. Yeah. And television, I think they color Xerox their first album cover there for Marky well, Moon. I, I think they did that because before Todd's, it was a place called Jamie Canvas. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Oh, right. right. They think they did I that there. To, yeah. Right, right. And then Todd was the guy at Jamie Canvas, and he went rogue and started his own independent place on Mott Street. Um, and then he took his color Xerox with him, his machine. And, and, <laughs> yeah, oh, and man, we, I used to yeah, he did. Xerox at Jamie all the time, yeah. And we were the first I, employees I, there. Oh, so, oh. That's how that happened, that's I guess. So cool. And I, I think back then, like Xerox places were important for bands. You just you had to, you know, you had to copy your flyers. That's how we made you had our to put posters. Your flyers yeah. up. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. 
For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Did you keep all the Bush Tetras ephemera and the flyers and the posters and the... We have a lot. I mean... I've moved a million times, so I'm like the worst archivist. I don't, mm. I have things, I have a few things like we're, we're, we're donating things to the punk museum in Las Vegas. There's so a I'm punk gonna, museum in Las Vegas. Yes. I'm surprised yeah. they haven't approached you. Thurston. They haven't. Yeah. I'm surprised too. Oh, I'm, not giving my, I, I'm not going to give my stuff to a punk museum. In I'm just loaning. I'm doing a loaner. <laughs> I'm loaning. I don't have much. I got to keep it. Oh, it's a loan. It's a loan. <laughs> but is it true that in Las Vegas, they recreated CBGBs? For, is it really? Yeah, is yeah. that true? I think so. That's kind of scary. I heard about that. I haven't well, been this, there. This, this is CBGB and, and at New York Airport. There is? Oh, yeah. really? Have you oh been to there? Oh, that's really cool. I, I, I've been there. I haven't seen. <laughs> Check it out. Oh no! Well, the they, is- they have they have the awning at Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. in Cleveland. We saw that. Oh my god! Oh yeah, that that's that's one cheesy place. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna say, I mean, it's Cleveland. It's good for Cleveland, I guess. Whose idea was it to do this this box set? This- Oh, we were, you know, after the 40th anniversary, we we thought like it's really time to put it all together. And our and our everything was in a mess, really. Like, you know, what what you could what you could still get, what was still available, what yeah. was out of print. So we we thought it was time before you know before mm-hmm. we all croak. Well, we're moment. working with this great record company, Wharfcat Records, and they um, they wanted to do it because, like Cynthia just said, a lot of the stuff that we had out is not available anymore because right. it's it's not in distribution. So we took, yeah, we took uh, 30 songs out of about, what, five different records, Cynthia? Mm-hmm. And, uh, or maybe six. And... Uh, yeah, we're excited to get that out so it will be available and then we hope to get the old things out later with them mm. uh, with our distributors secretly. Yeah, Canadian. just d- digitally. But yeah, it's yeah. kind of nice to get this out because we never in the 80s made a full album. We made a bunch of uh, singles and EPs. Right. Um, so it's it's, yeah, after all this time, it's really, really nice to have this condensed piece of history like that yeah i can't so, wait to see it oh it, it looks beautiful and your yeah. piece yeah. was great yeah and you you guys contributed thank you yes um i um have to say we have this new bass player rb corbett so Doctor during R. during during covid we the three of us she pat and i did a hybrid version, you know, of trying to write songs together. And we wrote like 10 songs. So it's, that's been exciting. Like writing is really fun. As you guys know, you write all the time. Uh, yeah, always coming, write up, new songs. coming up with new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. What, 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 what Thurston, what do you, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been, I haven't really touched a guitar in quite a while, but I, but I, so I feel a little sort of. You haven't what? 
I haven't really touched the guitar in quite a oh, uh, this I have this one here. Yeah, yeah you just it, you, just, you just came off the road. You you just yeah, did yeah, you yeah. just did gigs. Okay. So you're twelve it's okay. twelve okay. string. That's you're, my, you're, yeah. for, you're good you can for see months that. now. <laughs> I, I love a quote years ago. I remember somebody asked Arto Lindsay in an interview. Do you practice the guitar? Do you play it frequently? He said, oh, no, my guitar is very lazy. She lies in bed all day eating chocolate bonbons. <laughs> oh, my God. That's perfect, that, yeah. That Ardo. Oh, yeah, but hey, Jim, you've got, you've got a great setup there to, to record and play. Well, upstate, I have my yeah. dream teenager's dream studio oh, now. It's, it's in a one bay of a of a garage. I have my instruments, my art table, all my my four hundred dollar oh, cool. guitars, you know, my little <laughs> synthesizers and stuff. I record oh. on it on um I on Garage Band, and I'm in heaven working there. I love it, you know. Oh, that's so so cool. happy, yeah. Oh, and is and you're going on the road with Squirrel. In the winter. Well, we're just going to do a brief thing in February for a couple of weeks and go to Europe and do our live scores to uh, to uh, the Man Ray films, the surrealist films of Man Ray. So not, oh, I've seen that. That's so good, Jim. I love. Yeah, that. it gets better. We've been doing it for some years infrequently because we have a lot of other stuff going on. But yeah, that'll be fun. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I love I love what you guys do. Thank it's, you. And yeah, Thurston, cool, yeah. Thurston, what about you? Um, I'm just sort of heads down trying to finish a manuscript. I got like a book deal to write these series of music essays about sonic life. Oh, which sonic is, life. Wow. Which is what it's titled. So I, I have to, I'm, I'm, I sort of have about six months to a year to complete it. And I'm kind of halfway through. So. Okay. So you're going to be good writing. Title. Yeah. Really good title. But I'm still, I mean, I'm, I have a band here and we play and, and we're, doing a few shows in France beginning in November. Oh, um, cool. oh, who's, in the who's in the band, Thurston? Um, it's just a local guitar player who I really like named James Sedwards. Uh, the bass player is this woman, Deb Googe, who was in a band called My Bloody Valentine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Her. I Never her. heard of him. <laughs> too noisy. I'll right, send you a too link. <laughs> too noisy. No, we saw you play with her. She's and amazing. Steve. She's cool. And yeah, Steve. yeah. And, and Steve, Steve plays... Well, Steve, Steve plays with me in, in New York, but here in London, I have a London drummer um, uh, named Jem Dalton. I was just in New York. Steve and I did a trio with Ernie Brooks from The Modern Lovers. No, and we, and I, and we, yeah. I missed that. That was really I fun. I knew about it. I was upstate. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I've seen I was your out band. Of town, but, yeah, the version with Steve, I've seen several times. Yeah, yeah. It's just great band. It's it fantastic. is. That's and fine. I, I love Deb. Deb is like she's she's another force. She she's, is she's amazing. incredible. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. her, and I love that. Yeah, your your two guitars are so beautiful. When you mm -hmm. do the the two electric twelve string thing too, it's just really beautiful. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now we just have to get the three of you playing together. No, with the four of us together. Yeah. Well, oh, I do. I have my silver tone. You got a guitar. Yes. There's a beautiful silver tone guitar back right there. there. I see it, Jim. She yeah, right I see it. Yeah. I want to hear you play that. Me too. I have this one riff I go over and over. I try to play for Pat. It's like <laughs> I get obsessed with one riff. One riff is like, all you need, kids. Yeah, well, it's one little, it's like a little, it's a couple <laughs> riffs true. put together. One chord. Yeah, it's kind of I like got, the way I sing, just to just keep repeating the same thing. I love it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I got to do a fun thing recently. I don't even know. Uh, Patty Smith made these three records for Soundwalk Collective based on Rambo and one on Arto oh. and one on Dumal, right? So mm -hmm. I got to remix one of them in a, this poem of uh, Rambo's Eternity that Patty did. And it had it has Sufi singers, and I put all these reverse guitars oh, and it sounds really oh, cool. drony oh, wow. surfy psychedelic not surfy sufi but uh it was yeah. so much fun but she hasn't heard it yet so she might hate it i i don't so know you, you it came out it, cool i remixed it, in, it. Uh, oh in your studio i produced yeah. in my little studio a remix i removed the uh philip glass tracks and uh 
Oh, I want to hear that. Oops. It was cool. Uh, the glad. original was cool, but mine is more my, my style. So it was really it's, fun. It's like a remix. That's a really beautiful photograph of, is it Austin next to the guitar on the wall? Back yeah. There? Yeah. Let me show you. That's really hip. Yeah. That's his wife took it. that. Wait, wait, where am I? Oh, that's his paintings from high school. He oh, is I'll give you a tour of the scene there. Gallery. What yeah, an artist is. Austin is an amazing artist. Yeah. yeah. Musician, man. Yeah. And that's why I missed your show because. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. He was doing something. And the, yeah. And then, you know, you're supposed to play it. We got there at seven and it was like, nine yeah. and the first thing was going on and they were outside and that's so how it is yeah they, they have these generator shows kids do these generator shows here in new york yeah. they're really cool it's like yeah. a cool idea because all the diy places are disappearing mm-hmm. right you know even before covid it's like sad because we had a lot of we had a lot of venues to play at it was so fun yeah, yeah we did uh, like I always think about Tier Three, man. That was like such a clubhouse. So fun. I love Tier Three, and the band was right on the floor. I remember remember yeah. seeing the young Marble yes. Giants, and I'm standing two feet away from them. You know, yeah, yeah. It really no was stage, so much. Right. No stage. Right. The fact that the fact that that place only existed for like a year and a couple of months is hard to believe. Yeah. I know. A lot of bands went through there, and it just seemed like that. That it was such a timeless kind of period where you would have this trail where you'd be at tier three and then you're like, okay, let's just walk over to the mud club and see what's going on. And you would meet people going either which way and you would trade sort of like information, you know, like, Oh, what's who's over there. What's happening over there. What's happening over there. And then you would all meet at Dave's luncheonette and you would sort of like, you take, take a little break. And then, (laughs) and then you would do the same thing again. It was just like this back and forth trail for a while. It was like really, it was really curious, but the fact that it only lasted for just like a year or so, it, it, just, it seemed like such a, uh, it seems like such a pronounced period of time. So know. much and happened it, you know, in that amount of time. Yeah. yeah. And it was so kind of, you know, like desolate over there. There was like no yeah. people. I'd ride my bike. I rode Barbara on my handlebars to tier three. <laughs> you know, and there was right. no traffic. There's no traffic at all. You just go and, you know, yeah. and then have an egg cream. Yeah. Egg cream at Dave's. Yeah. That, and re- that, re- Remember El Teddy's? El Teddy's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the people coming out of El Teddy's would sort of sneer at us dirty (laughs) youth on our way to tier three. Well, El Teddy's was kind of a like uh, kind of a mob place, I think. Right. right. And and right next to tier three, it was kind of it was was funny. An odd location. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always yeah. a there's always a there was always a certain smell in the air down there. It was like this <laughs> wafting factory, like because it was like it was actually sort of thread waxing factories and and, and such. But it had a yes. very there's a very distinct odor. As soon as you sort of cr- got into Tribeca on the west side, there it would really permeate the air. And I and I always re- remember mm. just like it, all of a sudden it was just there, and I've never smelled that smell again. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, probably from the factories because I mean it's certainly not there now. <laughs> do you remember no. on Prince and Mulberry when I lived on Prince Street? There was a chicken slaughterhouse. Oh yeah, <laughs> on oh, Prince yeah. and Mulberry Street. Yeah, on the west you... southwest side, and there'd be thin chicken blood running yeah. in the street, and so weird. If you go there now, it's like. Forget about two thousand dollars shoes for you know I don't even know anymore. But mm-hmm. I tell yeah. people that, and they're like, "Are you sure you're remembering this correctly?" <laughs> no, there was one right here in Broom Street too, uh, over in Soho. There was a place where you could a chicken place like that. Oh God! So yeah, that was going on back in the day. Yeah, it's gross, and they they have those big trucks sometimes parked outside of those chicken places with all the sort of dead or like dying chickens stuffed into the back of them and they're i remember in those wooden crates like (laughs) yeah the wooden crates horrible horrible. feathers kind of blowing out on the on the cobblestones (laughs) (laughs) you had to be really tough to live in new york yeah man it has really changed Uh, like a little bit a little bit yeah, but bit. now we're sounding old these kids today. They don't know what it was like. Yeah, we had to pass exactly. that chicken slaughterhouse on the way to <laughs> tier three. 
<laughs> yeah, it's exactly. kind of like I walk five miles to school kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> and what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's, the, what's the Bush Tetris tour plans? Well, that's a good question. Oh. But I, I, we haven't. We are. We are uh, kind of right now. We're just. We're doing the box set, and we're doing the show at Poisson Rouge, where you you played, and we're playing the thirteenth yeah. of November, which I think both of you two, you're not going to be around. I won't be there. Yet. I might come back, but I might not be able to. I'm trying to figure it out still. Yeah. And and then uh, yeah, we're doing a signing uh, a box set signing at Rough Trade on the twelfth, and then and at Howell on the ninth of October yeah. this this Saturday. But that's a kind of different story. That's a party, yeah. and, but yeah, but I think we're we're really into these new songs. Like yeah, good. so so we might just go record rather than. Yeah. I don't know hone them we're gonna refine them because it's good like we still do that thing of writing we're not self-conscious we just write what's in there and don't think too mm. much about it you know we don't you know we just try to refine it enough that we like the arrangement and then we just like to record it so hopefully we'll be doing that because the touring I don't know we, no, it's tough. we will be in 2022 but it's we don't have any set dates so and Jim, yeah. you're gonna you're going. Are you gonna do that again in New York at all? I don't know. We don't have uh, dates for that yet. I, I'm not sure I'd, what we're I'd doing. Love to and, see that again. And we're recording too. And I'm working on a new uh, collaboration with uh, Joseph Van Vissum, who I've made a few records with. So yeah, just working on stuff as they go. I, I I'd like to do some live uh, squirrel stuff that wasn't Man Ray. Also, just some kind of noisy semi-improvised things but uh we don't have a plan yet but i say I, you guys got to record keep recording and anytime you're alive I, I hope i can see you too in november but i yeah. love i love you guys live i gotta say i get really uh, energized every time you play i'm like up for a few days you know i just <laughs> it's really a positive thing so so nice to hear thanks Jim. yeah thanks i think you know we really love performing that's one thing we it, pat and i get pat and i get really out of our minds I have to say more more than we used to like really it's, not, <laughs> it's we've refined the the kind of going to the other place on stage you can just kind of spiral up there you know music, about those, that space music is a natural high it is man yeah. <laughs> Who needs it drugs? Sure Who is. needs drugs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Hugs, not drugs. But so, yes, we've come <laughs> a long way. We've come a long way from uh, from um, Dave's and all that. <laughs> we survived. We did. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that. Thank you so yeah. much for doing this, you guys, and being so supportive. We super appreciate it. No, we it, do. We do. And it's, it, Anytime, and always. It's great to see you, yeah. and uh, we'll see you. It sounds soon. And I hope so. Okay. Yeah, and thank you guys. It's so nice just to see you, even though you're tiny little pictures on it. But <laughs> Bush Tetris, Bush Tetris forever. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I love you both. Love you both much. Likewise. Much, much. You guys too. Thanks for listening to the Talk House podcast and thanks to the Bush Tetras, Thurston Moore and Jim Jarmish for chatting. If you like what you heard, please follow Talk House on your favorite podcasting and social media services. This episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan and the Talk House theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.